In today's episode, I discover how anger and the burning desire to make a difference to the safety of young women and vulnerable individuals drove Lisa Bascott to create a business that is set to turn the private security industry on its head. Lisa discloses the shocking statistics around diversity and representation in the sector, and we discuss the changes that need to occur to ensure all of our safety. Join me as we look at life through a different lens. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Perception Podcast with me, your host, Caroline Partridge. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of talking not only to a trailblazing woman, but a longtime friend of mine, Lisa Bascott. Lisa established Second Line of Defence, a female-focused frontline security recruitment agency, in order to bring the recruitment and training of door staff, or bouncers, as they used to be called, into the 21st century. She became a qualified security industry authority licensed door supervisor in September 2021 and has since worked as part of security teams covering special events at the Hilton Brighton Metropole and the Grand Brighton Hotel. Prior to starting Second Line of Defence, Lisa had a 20-year career in media, specialising in publishing, TV, online and mobile advertising. She left advertising in 2014 to create and run her own property business, buying, renovating and selling period properties in the UK. Lisa has been a serving magistrate for 10 years and she sits as a presiding justice in both the adult and youth courts in Sussex, where she relocated to from South East London in February 2021 with her two children, Eva and Jack. Most recently, Lisa has been named as one of the 100 most influential businesswomen in the UK. Woo! So, Lisa, welcome, 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 welcome. I'm delighted to be talking to you today. Um, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Caroline. I, I'm really excited. I'm excited about your journey as well. Yeah. This podcast, and I wish you all the best. So oh. it's brilliant that I'm here with you. So thank you. Thank you. Okay. So now within your introduction, uh, you wear a lot of hats and I've mentioned a lot of things, but the thing that you ha have most recently created, um, and which I think is a, an is an absolutely genius idea is second line of defense. Um, now I'd like you to give us a little context about what the catalyst was for creating this company and what, what you, what you saw was the need to create this company. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I can't believe that two years have gone by already almost mm. since I, um, relocated to home with my children, but it, uh, it pretty much all started with that journey. Um, I moved in 2021 at the end of uh, February into my new life and my new home. And it was all really exciting. Um, and I was busy just kind of doing that sort of home moving thing without a care in the world, really, or, or trying not to uh, in the middle of a pandemic. But uh, within about a couple of weeks, I think roughly, of arriving, I remember turning the TV on, um, you know, just to see what was going on and, uh, you know, to be horrified um, to learn that not only had this woman, Sarah Everett, um, gone missing, but uh, very shortly after, we we found out that this woman was um, abducted, murdered, brutally assaulted and murdered 
and dumped and by a police officer. Um, when I say that this this event shocked me to the core, I, I mean it it literally shocked me. I, I couldn't I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. Um, not only did this resonate with me because it happened in my hometown of Clapham. I was born and bred in South London, in Clapham. The perpetrator was a, a law enforcer, and being a magistrate of ten years and very much believing in the rule of law, I found this really difficult to get my head around. I was angry, if you want me to be really honest. I was mm. really angry about yet again, you know, women um, being brutally um, um, uh, abused at the hands of, you know, um, uh, men in particular. But this woman was just going about her everyday business. Yes, I know we were in um, the midst of a pandemic, but all the same, this is a young woman who did all the things that she should have done on a night out and she was following the rules. But, you know, what can you do when you're um, stopped by a police officer who flashes his badge and tells him that you're, tells you that you're breaking COVID rules? Anybody would do the same. And she mm. got into his car and that was the end of her life. So that was the catalyst. It moved me. I was angry and I needed to do something about it. I signed petitions. It didn't make me feel less angry. I signed more petitions. It didn't make me feel less angry. <laughs> and I just sort of subliminally found myself kind of researching, you know, um, instances of women being brutalised at the hands generally of men um, mm. when they tended to um, be assaulted at what sort of time of day when this happened. Um, and But I, I kind of widened the search. I realised that, you know, um, it wasn't just about women necessarily. It was about vulnerable people. And within that group um, fell young people of sort of drinking age, as it were. Um, certain groups, the gay community being one of the biggest groups, certain ethnic groups as well. And, and in particular, I was thinking about when are they more likely to find themselves in, you know, potentially the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's usually at night where drink, alcohol and drugs and nighttime combine. So either you are um, an individual who has been consuming um, and you find yourself put in a, a vulnerable situation or you're not, but you come across a group or someone who has been and you fall victim to their to their attack. Um, and I wanted to know who was out there, who was supposed to be keeping an eye out on these people. Obviously, we have our first line of defence and that forms the police, mm. uh, the fire and ambulance services. They're our first line of defence. The second line of defence, hence the name of my company, is the private security um, industry in the UK. Um, there's a mad statistic that... Um, uh, private security individuals outnum outnumber police officers one to eighteen. What? Which is kind of crazy. What? Yeah, one, one to eighteen. Yeah, yeah. For every eighteen door supervisors or security personnel in the UK, it's one police officer. Yeah. So you start to you start to you start to build a picture of what it might be like for a vulnerable person out on a night out. And something goes wrong. The people there, really, who are going to be able to help you in that situation are those second line of defence, are those um, um, uh, bouncers or door supervisors that are actually known now. And it didn't take much for me to scratch beneath the surface 
of that industry sector um, to find out that there are a whole load of stuff going on that is not going to help anyone in mm. a situation like that. Um, this is an industry sector that has been regulated for some 20 years now in 2001. Before that, it was pretty much the Wild West in terms of mm. getting a license to do that job. Um, well, and I, we I have... I think the perception is of that industry still. and of those individuals that it's mm. still pretty much yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, an, a sector that sort of regulates itself. Correct. Um, depending on the particular establishment. Yes. Uh, and that, they, that they're not really answerable to a, a higher regulatory body or are they? I think that's it. I think that's a fair observation, and and this is this is what angers me uh, to to a degree. The regu- the 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 industry has been regulated. It has a regulatory body called the Security Industry Authority. It's been there for twenty years. However, they ha- seem to have a pretty hands off approach unless something goes wrong. Mm. So essentially, they say here are some rules and guidelines that we we like you to kind of go out and sort yourselves out and regulate yourselves don't really think that's going to happen. And so for 20 years, they've kind of, the individuals operating in that industry have pretty much been left to their own devices. However, the regulatory body does step in when something horrible goes wrong, which is not really the time for them mm. to be doing that. So a bouncer gets glassed or, you know, somebody does something to a punter and something goes horribly wrong well, and then they fall in, well, you know, they uh, fall in line. And even more on a larger scale recently in at the Brixton Academy. Correct. Absolutely. It it's taken until about two two weeks ago for the industry body. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure that since December when the incident happened until now they may have been doing their investigations. But I find it um a bit of a coincidence that they actually voiced um what they were going to do only after the BBC's file on four. Um basically put out some damning reports about um, some uh, investigation that they had done into the events that took place on that night that basically uncovered uh, corruption, bribery, understaffing, you name it, on the event, which basically led to two fatalities. It was only at that point that the SIA decided to actually voice. This is the industry body you would have thought on the 15th of December when the actual Mm. event happened, that there would be some kind of statement made. It was only made two weeks ago. And this I find very, very frustrating and unacceptable, really. Absolutely. Mm. The industry and the people that work within the industry absolutely need to know that that industry body there is there for a reason, not just for face, and that it is going to root out all of the unattractive elements that this industry often attracts. Yeah. Wow. And and have you found in your own personal experience, working experience, because you've been working on uh, the door, um, and I think that's really fantastic that you've actually, <laughs> rather than, you know, that you've got down there at grassroots level sure. and experienced what is going on and witnessed what is going on. Correct. And have yeah. created this business up from that. I just think it's astounding. Yeah. Well, essentially, as part, as, uh, as I said, um, as uh, as part of the journey in looking into the industry and and, and the massive cultural, the, I mean, I when I say I'm 
it's seismic the change i believe that needs to occur within this industry and we're talking mm. we talk we, we you know um society has been talking a lot about culture about that term and about the use of that word within all sorts of institutions we're talking about it within the metropolitan police mm. at the moment because of all of the issues around certain officers and what they're doing in certain elite groups with officers and their behavior and mm. how they are um, misusing their position to cause harm to people. Um, and we've also, also seen it in others. Yeah, also with the police, the the numbers now and the statistics, they've had uh, crimes and misdemeanours, I suppose you could say, covered up or not brought Correct. to, on, yeah. or not, uh, they haven't been addressed properly. Yeah. And so they've been able to commit further crimes. And syst- and this and we're talking not a one-off. We're talking systematic. Mm. You know, time after time, one officer having complaints. Well, let's talk about David Carrick, um, mm. uh, and he's nothing short of a monster oh. that has admitted to countless rapes. You know, um, and horrible misdemeanors against women. Seventeen years. I'm going to say that again. 17 years this man has been allowed to wear that badge and carry out these atrocities time and time again. On the day that the Met Police said that um, they were going to um, make amends, Reese Sarah Everett, and put in place systems to root out this kind of evil, somebody walked into a police station and made an official complaint about David Carrick on the same day. And yet, still, that man stayed in his position and was given a badge to continue mm-hmm. his harmful ways. Uh, and there are there are questions that I'd, I I have no idea how the Met are going to answer with regards to that particular man because it is frightening to say the least. Now I'm not saying that um, the the issue within the um, private security industry is necessarily at that kind of level, but there is a culture within that industry, Mm. which is archaic. It is a culture which is predominantly um, uh, shaped by men. Um, Mm. And and the message that it sends out, not just to society and uh, people going out of an evening, but to anyone who doesn't fit that bill and chooses to go down that route, i.e. women or a gay person or, you know, any other group that might find themselves in the minority, it's going to be really hard. And you'd have to be a relatively tough person to, you know, pull up your boots and, and go for it because it's a difficult world to get into if you don't have your wits about you. And and mm. this should not be the case. You know, I found out very, very quickly um, by scratching beneath the surface that an industry that has 400,000 licensed or supervisors only have 8% of women. Women make up 51% of the population. This has been the number for 20 years. The industry has been regulated for 20 years. The SIA has been talking about needing more women for 20 years. The number still is 8%. But isn't it the perception that people think that secure, for us to be secure and for us to have security, that that equates to power and force and that and size and mm. size. Exactly. Yeah. So so how do we protect? And, it, and yeah. it's interesting. It's 
establishments like how do we protect the building as opposed to the right. individuals that are that are right. inside that building because a Absolutely. lot of the time it's it, it when we talk about security it's it's this strange idea of what security actually means do i mm. feel secure going mm. into uh, an establishment mm. where there is somebody huge <laughs> on the door <laughs> who's particularly mm. not the most forthcoming and friendly person. Mm. Uh, d- maybe I might feel physically secure if a fight breaks out, but I don't think I'd feel that physically secure because those guys, when when fights do occur, go, go in like steamrollers and Correct. people are thrown out of the way, you know, and 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 there's collateral damage when there's a, you mm. know, there's a fight. So so it's this idea about yeah. this, this, the perception of what I think the perception of what door staff have that that there is yeah. that that they are required to do. Yeah. Um and, and also the you... perception of the the people that are entering the the particular establishment. Establishment. Mm. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um it's this sort of um misnomer about what it takes to feel secure what 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 security means in my mind security is facilitating um customers and ensuring that they have a good night and that they are safe within the premises that they're entering um all too often it's been venues getting big guys in to basically blockade the door funnily <laughs> enough like you've got people queuing up to get in but actually the message that you're sending out is you're not coming in which to me just just completely does not make any sense at all i don't, but, I don't like your face you're yeah, not coming in yeah it's like yeah. But, but but they're gonna make you money but mm. yeah so it's it's that idea and it's also this you know forgetting that there is i i think there there's this huge disconnect at the moment uh between the the audience that make up the people on the doors and the Mm. audience that make up the people going through the doors. And we have seen a seismic shift in um, society's attitude towards um, women, um, uh, young people in particular, the millennials, the generation Zs, the Gen Zs. They are a a new breed of of individuals and they're Mm. lovely and they're feisty and they know their rights and they won't take shit from anyone. (laughs) And this is at complete odds with dinosaurs often that are from another kind of generation that don't recognise that voice on the door. And so there are there's this huge clash essentially that takes place i often say to friends and i give them this scenario and it's the best way to describe um in particular women and vulnerable people and what they go on uh, um and and i'm speaking now as a woman i get a phone call from you as a friend saying babe mm. let's go out for a drink tomorrow night i'm super excited i start thinking on the night what am i going to wear but subliminally I may not be thinking it out loud, but subliminally, because this is how I've been raised in society as a as as a woman, is mm, you're gonna wear that. Is that a bit too tight? Is that is that too short? What are you gonna put on your feet? What about heels? How are you gonna get home? Are you gonna wear a top? Mm, okay. So you're going through all of this, and then you actually leave the house to get to the venue. Um, whether you're taking a taxi or a bus, let's say you're mm. going on a bus. You're thinking from the moment you leave your house to that bus stop. 
Am I going to get stopped? Who's walking behind me? I need to get there quickly. Let me walk on the lit side of the road. Is the lighting? This is all the stuff that's going in my head. Not thinking about the drink, right? I haven't even got to that point yet. Get on the bus. Am I going to be hassled by some dickhead on the bus commenting about the way that I look? and being derogatory or whatever, just offering up some unwelcome um, approach that, you know, I'm not finding um, uh, very helpful. And then I get off the bus and I have to walk to the venue and I'm presented with another dickhead, potentially, (laughs) on the door, you know, telling me that maybe I've had a bit too much to drink or, you know, I'm with a group of people and he wants to separate or she wants to separate me from my group of friends at midnight, you Mm -hmm. know, without an understanding of the consequences potentially of that silly move. And then once I get into the club, it's, is my drink going to be pissed about with? Am I going to get my drink spiked? Am I going to get some unwanted sexual advance by yet another dickhead, you know? And then once we've gotten through that night, if you even make it that far, it's the same again on the way home. But this time I'm a little bit pissed and there are a whole load of other pissed people around me. Am I going to get raped on the way home? That is the journey of a young woman on a night out. And she needs for people on the door to understand that. Mm -hmm. They need to understand that when they communicate with women, with gay people, with minority, whoever, they need to have an understanding of that individual's journey and the role of that person on the door is to facilitate that person's night out not to give them a hard time not to separate them from their friends don't get me wrong we have a duty of care as an individual in that role to ensure that we do not allow intoxicated people into the premises it's against the law you can't serve drunk people drink right Mm. and if you're high or you're clearly taking we can't let you in sure But there are ways in which these situations can be handled. And Mm. the people on the doors are not given the requisite training to deal with those social contexts. contexts. And that's what needs to change. Absolutely. Anyone can go and do a door supervisor training course if they've got half a brain and are willing and get that badge. But it doesn't mean that you're going to be the right kind of person to do the work. There is a difference. The integrity, as we found out with the findings in Brixton is something that could cause someone's life, right? Someone turning a blind eye, someone taking money behind people's back, someone letting in 200 more people than are allowed to be in a building can lead to fatalities. And we've seen that with Brixton. Yeah, and it did. Exactly. Exactly. And and so how is second line of defence? What What is your goal? How are you hoping to 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 change to make a change in this in the training or in the uh under or, or, or how door people operate it's 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 it, it's one of those things that I, i'm going at it guns blazing you know i Good. put my money where i put my money where my mouth is and i established this um recruitment company because i decided you know i've got a 16 year old or soon to be 16 year old daughter eva who will be living her best life god help me within the next <laughs> couple of years out there drinking you know rites of passage and all that and i have my lovely nearly 14 year old boy I need to know that by the time they hit the age of 18, when they can legally drink and go out and party, mm. that there is an army of me 
on mm. those doors looking out for them. I also want them to feel represented. I want women to feel represented on a night out. At the moment, 90% of the time when you and I go out, we do not see anyone on the door that looks like us or understands our journey. This needs to change. And we need to ensure that the awareness of certain air, you know, certain topics um, are much more in the foreground um, when you consider which type of person you put on the door. So for me, the first journey um, in addressing what needs to, you know, this sort of massive seismic cultural change within the industry mm. is addressing the, the the elephant in the room, which is there are no women, right? Mm. Mm. There are 400,000 licenses nationally. There are 8% of that 4,000. What's that? 40,000, less than 40,000 people nationwide. 51% of this population are made up of women. They go out loads. They drink mm. loads. They spend loads of money, but they are not being looked after. So we need to address mm. that. We need to speak to the, this community. And, and it's a difficult ask, right? Because you're asking a group of people that would not ordinarily, the perception, even from certain groups, even from women, is that that's a man's world. I'm not going to be welcome. Yes. I can't do that job. You need to be a big burly bloke. You need to be able to take someone down. No. All of the above, sometimes, rarely, you know, mm. being a door supervisor and using force Force, whenever you talk about force within that role, it is bare minimum and for the shortest amount of time, right? You mm. see those horrible images on TV of full-on fights. That is not an image that I want for this industry. That is not good. Mm. And it does happen still, unfortunately, way too often, right? What we need is people who have front of life, you know, front of house skills, good skills, hospitality, communication, right? Mm intuition being able to spot something before it even happens women are good at doing these things these things come naturally to us i honestly believe that um i have colleagues that i've worked with in the past and i've been able to stand at the door and look down the queue uh, of the people waiting to come in and pick out individuals who i know by the time they get to the front are not going to be coming in for whatever reason, because I've been seeing, I've been watching their behavior from the door. And I can tell you that this person is high. This person is really pissed. This person, I can do that. Mm. And this is and this is how you stop problems. You stop fights from happening if you can contain situations before mm. they even happen. And this is what we need to instill in people. And what we also need as an industry to be telling the world is that we believe in diversity in representation, diverse teams and workforces are up to 30% more productive, more effective. What business wouldn't want to embark on a on a, um, a policy in terms of the people that they hire that would automatically lead to a 30% uplift in productivity or mm. more people coming through the door and spending money? It's a no-brainer but it's not happening. So part of my role in this, uh, the creation of this company is to physically go out and find those women, to go out and to go to the places where I know that they live and they listen, whether that's on TikTok or Instagram or LinkedIn or at universities or at sixth form colleges, wherever that may be, wherever they have a voice and there is a community, I'm taking me and my message to that place to talk to them. I'm literally standing up saying, I know 
all of the things that you're going to tell me as to why you can't do this job. But I've just busted all of those myths because why? I went out and got myself qualified. I've been working the doors for 18 months, nearly two years, and I've received the best anecdotal evidence as to why it is absolutely imperative for more women and more young people and more people of colour and more gay people and more... It's why we need them. We need Mm. to reflect the people that come into these establishments. Full stop. Yeah. That is, we are nowhere near doing that it needs we are living in the 21st century it needs to change and this is this is seismic change this is cultural change and the only way that we can do that is not just by going out there and finding um the potential solution so i say that women young people are part of the solution to the change right however we still got to deal with those that do have their badges that don't come from that world. So mm. what are we going to do with those people? I am creating a training module that will basically be uh, scaled out. It's an online training course, and it's going to be focused around sort of six or seven key modules that I, in my times working on the doors, have time and time again realised are the core areas that a door supervisor needs to have a level of awareness in and it ranges from some of the obvious things drink uh drugs uh, but it touches upon other things like neurodiversity Mm. and mental health these the last two subject areas think about what's just happened in the last couple of years we we have a a cohort of young people who have been locked up in those formative years prior to drink being allowed to legally drink They've not had any rites of passage. So when they came out in 2021, September, and they were at their freshers week, they were bonkers, right? Because they had no idea about tolerance levels, what was appropriate, what was inappropriate. And so it was this horrendous melting pot. These are not horrible individuals. These are just people that didn't have an opportunity to work out how to behave. Well, they're people, they're young people, which I, I... Having talked to uh, some uh, uh, medical professionals, these are young people who we won't really see the effects upon their correct. mental health for some years. But Absolutely the immediate correct. effects are those of, as you say, kind of excess, excess. I've correct. got to grab everything as, as because who knows when it will be taken away again. Absolutely. Absolutely. So imagine that. Imagine that. So, mm. you know their first opportunity to to kind of get out there and, and it just goes wrong in all the worst possible ways, you know, mm. paramedics being called in, you know, on a regular basis. I mean, some of the establishments that I work at who are particularly forward thinking in this area mm. have on big nights of big club nights that have a you know large percentage of young people, they have, they bring in their own paramedics into wow. that club night. Absolutely. And they train all of their staff to be um, uh, to a level of welfare. So on any given night, any person, whether they're working behind the bar or manning the loose, if anything goes wrong, will have a level of awareness as to what to do in that situation. This is what this industry needs across the board. And this is what I'm trying to do with the online training modules. It's about having an accessible 
um, uh, medium for people to go and learn more about these core areas and to bring that learning and mm. understanding into the role so that we start to have a, a level playing field of professionalism mm. and responsibility and duty, right? Not just by the individual club, but all establishments in every region, in every major city, not just in the odd one or two that yeah. does a good job. Well, I think that's that's it's about joined up thinking, communication Absolutely. and transparency about yep. the regulating body, really communicating with the establishments who then are communicating with the people that they employ in a uh, in a really uh, a clear uh, way. And also the people that are working on the doors Commute, learning to communicate. Absolutely, absolutely. With the uh, clientele that's are you know with the custom that are yeah. coming in through the door and understanding that actually there is an alternative because Correct. I do think it's it's quite difficult really for the the people who are already on the doors, the bouncers or doors mm-hmm. door staff who are already on the doors who may be somebody who has been in Correct. this. Uh, you know, been in this position maybe for fifteen years, yes. having you and and having learnt how Correct. to be <laughs> this mm-hmm. kind of wall yeah. of impenetrable kind of mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. f- I I have to admit fear, fear me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it must be well, you know, and yeah. it must be really also challenging for that person to, absolutely to take on a new way of uh maybe dealing with with commute with communicating with people it must be quite a absolutely right and this is this is part i think this is the bigger challenge almost going out and 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 spreading the word as i am at the moment and have been for you know the past yeah you know six months or so to an audience that is receptive to to this Mm -hmm. conversation. That's not difficult. The difficulty is absolutely, as you've nailed it on the head, Caroline, is those men and women who are in that role, have been doing this job for 15 or 20 years, back in the day when, you know, it was the Wild West. And yeah, and it was all about, you know, a a, a show of force on, on, on the front door. They're the ones who we need to get through to. They're the ones who... There's a percentage of them that are never going to change their ways. And, and all I can hope is that when their badge expires, that they won't renew them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I can hope with those. But there is a huge cohort who just have never, never been given the opportunity, yeah. never been shown the way mm-hmm. that there is an alternative. There is mm-hmm. a different way of dealing with that same situation. You do not have to raise your voice. You do not have to put your hands on that person. You can actually just engage with them. And actually by engaging with them at that very instant when they're crossing the door, you are more likely to get them to do what you want them to do if a situation arises within the club. It's it To, to me, it seems like, you know, it doesn't seem like rocket science, but but for some of those people, this is something that they are very, they feel very uncomfortable with. So I am trying to find a way to show them that they shouldn't feel worried about this, that there is a way that they can feel more comfortable mm-hmm. and that I'm going to give them the tools uh, to help them do that. And I really, really hope that people will start to pick up and, and, and recognise that this is something that needs to be done. And in your personal experience working on the door, how have you how has that played out you know how has yeah. the way that you work played out 
with say your colleagues and what mm. kind of and what is the feedback that you've received from the uh, young people or the people that are coming yeah. into the venue and also from your co-workers how has that it's been an interesting one because <laughs> you know me really well so uh, mm. I am the same Lisa when I'm sitting on the bench in court as I am round at your house having a drink as I am when I'm standing on the doors all right mm. so I, I I am my true authentic self and I think I think that's what works for me anyway and I think mm. it definitely works in an environment such as the one that we're talking about and I I didn't necessarily think this immediately when I went into the role I I thought about trying to engage with young people, in particular women, and doing whatever I could to connect with them. That's kind of absolutely why I was there and that's what I was doing. I didn't realise until, you know, um, later uh, on in, and uh, in my time on the doors, working within a team, that actually my role was also to educate mm. those people already in those positions, like we mm. just mentioned, who have never seen anyone like me before. So I kind of came in with like a blaze of glory and they were just like, <laughs> who the hell who, who the hell is this nutcase <laughs> with a big mouth and a red lips and a sort of green nails and a peroxide hair? They were just like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Where did she, she blow in from? Yeah, yeah, she literally blew in and she's there sort of on the front door kind of dancing and, and talking about shoes and nails and hair and outfits mm. with people coming through. And they were just like, oh, what is going on? And I remember at the time thinking, because we were still very much in the throes of of um, all these sort of embargoes around lockdown. Mm. So we were having to wear masks still. People were having to show their COVID passes. And, and it was a really oppressive time, right? And people, and this is what I love about the Brits, right? We're still going out, we're still partying, mm. right? So I remember thinking, this is such a shit time, okay? What are we going to do? Again, this is our role as these people in that position. My job, as far as I was concerned, was to ensure that these guys who took the time in those conditions to bloody stand in a queue for an hour to get in, to have a boogie and to have a degree mm. of freedom, I'm not about to make it the worst bloody moment of their life. I'm going to try and help them and facilitate mm. as much as possible. So if it means talking to them about, you know, have they got their COVID pass and, da -da -da -da, and their mask and how funky that mask is and what their outfits are. If that's what I needed to do in order to make them feel safe. Again, we're back to that idea mm. of security. That is security. Doing that, making someone feel safe, showing them that you are there protecting them. Well, showing them that they, they can trust you Correct. because th this is the thing, I think. It's when somebody feels that they can trust you, if something does happen to them, Absolutely. they can then come to you because it's not Absolutely. all about, you know, I want to make clear to people that it's not, you're not advocating, oh, we're going to be all singing, all dancing on the door. <laughs> no, you know, no. it's that. They should that's... fear me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. but, that's, but that's a part of it. That's, you know, Correct. everything at the right time. Correct. When you have to be serious you're yeah. serious when yeah. when you want to engage with people and it's how you and yes it's how it's how you engage with people it's how yeah. i engage with people it's correct in the light-hearted uh way to create yeah. a, a, to An create a, a bond well to create a bond yeah. with that person Absolutely. isn't it really so and, and so it comes back, back to that to word 
it comes back to that word, communicate. Mm. And, you know, it might feel like and sound like the most overused word uh, in the world. But in this industry, it is key. Mm. You know, communicate. If you're saying to someone that they can't come in, don't just say you're not coming in and throw (laughs) them out. Tell them why. Give them a reason. Explain to them. People don't mind being told shit news if it's within context. So I will say, my love, you can't come in because as a a, a venue, we are not allowed to serve alcohol to intoxicated people. So what you need to do is step aside, go and get yourself sober, come back in half an hour and we'll take a view on it. Right. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Why, why, why can't that be? Why can't we do this? Mm. You know, and it's again, it's about showing individuals that there are other ways, but also treating people like people. All mm. right. People will follow rules. They will not kick off with you. You mm. know, if you put things into context, if you give them a reason and more importantly, Caroline, you've nailed it. Once they get into once you've established that level of trust on the door and something horrible happens inside the venue. That person will, number one, particularly in the case of women, come and seek you out because they're not afraid. Right. So imagine a circumstance where a woman is assaulted in the club, but she's been petrified because of the um, the dealings mm. that she had on the front door. She will not report it. Exactly. She will not report it. Now, that is that's just insane. Right. It's insane. Unacceptable. You know, I've I've had banter with young men on the doors. Uh, students on the doors of the club uh, on the outside and then they kicked off two groups of them in the pub uh, in the in the club kickoff I jumped off the stage right into the middle of them put my hands up and looked at them like their mum and basically (laughs) said you stop you get over there I could do this because they both looked at me went oh it's Lisa it's Lisa from the door and they just it just dropped yeah de-escalates I'm not situation i'm not saying that that's always going to work but what i'm saying is that i established trust Mm. they remembered me they remembered me engaging with them at the point of them coming into that club that gave them a good feeling about security about the venue about how the way things were being run and they respected me in the moment when it could have gone completely pear-shaped it could have escalated into something really nasty and it didn't and it is all about de-escalation how can you use this how can you use your mouth and your mind to stop shit from happening yeah and also i think it's creating relationships because as soon as you speak to somebody you've you, you you are you've created a relationship with them and you want to create that relationship of trust and also of uh, of also them understanding that you respect them as a person. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that it's it's not, I, I think, this, I'm, I'm in a position of power. Power. You have to mm. respect me. Correct. And that's it. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, that's a, the one, final, a one way yeah. kind of, yeah, a yeah. one way. It's not one way traffic. Yeah, yeah, rather than a, a reciprocal um, arrangement and relationship. It's a yeah. sort of a one way sort of I'm I'm in a position of power and you, you're just going to have to do what I say. It's not about that at all, nor should it be. Should it, 
it just shouldn't be. And I don't understand any door supervisor that gets any that can get any pleasure out of being that kind of person. My my joy in that role is talking to individuals, learning about their journey, what they're doing. Are they students? Are they working? Mm. You know, just that is the fascinating thing about being you meet so many people such a wonderful cross-section of society and it's like outside of being a doctor or a cab driver <laughs> they're not many do you know what I mean they're not many yeah. situations where you get to be in that kind of really intimate situation with complete strangers but it's wonderful it's really really I mean that's the pleasure I take from that role and I remember um a few months back being at a particular venue that doubles as a live music venue mm. as well as a club and in the uh, early part of the evening when the, uh, there was a band on, I saw a lady kind of making a beeline towards me. I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? And it turns out that she was the mother of a young person that comes clubbing at the venue every week, right, or twice a week, and had gone home and told her parents about this. There's this wicked woman. She's got a black woman with peroxide blonde hair. She works on She's amazing. And... and that woman, that mother was at a venue, sought me out, was asking everyone on the doors, where's the woman with the blonde hair? Because I want to go and talk to her. And she came up to me. She introduced herself. She hugged me and said, thank you. No. I was blown away. I was completely, completely blown away. And I know as a mother that I'd probably bloody well do the same thing, right? Because, you know, knowing that Eva and Jack are going to be out there raving one day, I want to know that there is someone that is going to do that for them. That cares and, just, and that they're safe. That, yes, absolutely. That they're really and, secure. This is what And I don't think that's too much to is. ask. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's yeah. too much to ask of people and that we sign up, we have a duty of care. Mm. And I think so many door supervisors forget that once they get their badge, right, they forget about that duty of care and that when they're on the door they've got the badge on their arms and that's all that counts well i i'm about reinforcing that message and shoving that 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 message up front and personal right <laughs> duty of care yeah duty of care duty of care it does not go away after you've got them into your venue you've got mm. them absolutely pissed and then throw them out again it oh, doesn't end there yeah and, and and how do your co-workers how do your co-workers respond to how what what has the response been from people that you've worked with that maybe have been in the job for a longer time mm. who have been more conditioned uh to yeah. to operating in a way that isn't quite so uh, inclusive. How how do they respond to you? Well, it was it was it, actually quite quite early on into the role, and it, and actually it was around that time where we were having to be really vigilant um, during uh, the pandemic about checking um, COVID passes and all of that. And it was a guy who'd literally been in the job for about twenty years, and he pulled me aside. It was probably after about six weeks of doing the work and working with him. He pulled me aside and he said, I've been meaning to say this to you. I've just got to say I'm in awe of the way that you are able to engage with people on the door. And I said, I don't understand what you mean. I'm just I'm just talking to them. And he was like, I just can't do that. He said, they they respond to you in a way that I, I've never seen before. And I've been mm -hmm. doing this job for 20 years. And, I, and, and that is, you know, the idea, the training idea, that sort of levelling the playing field came about as a result of that conversation because I recognised in this guy that 
he saw himself, his perception of mm. himself in that role was one that didn't enable him to visualize himself like me. And mm. I said to him, you are me. You can do this. You know, don't, don't, don't write yourself off. You just don't know. You haven't been given the tools. You haven't been shown the way. Mm. That's all. You know, and it was it was fascinating. And it was that's when I realized that actually the work that needs to be done that is as important is for those people in the roles with the mm. badges that have been part of the old school, the old establishment that are willing to change. They just need to be shown the way. Yeah. So I'm going to do that. Yeah. And, <laughs> yes! and take them on a little little ditty well, journey. Well, this is this is I this is what I was going to say so so wonderfully and neatly you've you've kind of brought it to a, to a close really because this is what I was going to ask well what is next? And you know, as yeah, you've said, gosh. it's it's tackling this yeah. this yeah. issue about yeah. the shift me, yeah. about the yeah. shift and you're right, it's, it's the shift of perception that people yeah. have of themselves, the people that are working on the door have of themselves, as yeah. you've just so, so brilliantly uh, yeah. um, described. And yeah. also the shift of perception of the people going into the club about Absolutely. these people who are on the door. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely. And, and so how... Uh, sorry, Lucy, you're about to say something else, and I, I no, just... no, no, no. You, yeah, no. You, you said what's next? I mean, I've kind of outlined. Obviously, it's it's growing the recruitment business at mm. the moment. It's sort of the focus is in the sort of the the coastal area, sort of the capital coast area in the south, mm. and in in and around Sussex. But the idea is that this will be a national um, yeah. uh, recruitment agency taking this taking this message to all the regions across the country and showing. Yeah showing the industry that this can be done. Um, it's um, launching the uh, online training course mm. this year um, and having that readily accessible to all 400,000 license holders out there. And it's also bringing, um, as you mentioned earlier, bringing an event to this sector. I call them the forgotten um, mm. people within the um, private security industry, the foundation of the industry. Mm. It's about creating an event where they can be in the room with uh, people who are stakeholders within, in particular, mm. the nighttime cultural industry, whether that's the people who issue licenses, the people who train you, the people who uh, um, educate you, you know, getting them all in a room together to discuss all of the pertinent issues that pertain to this particular frontline um, sector of the industry. Um, uh, again, uh, I'm hoping to launch this. You're mad. I'm not, I don't know when I'm, when I'm going to sleep, but I'm hoping to launch this. All those late nights. Well. All those late oh, nights on the door. You'll be, you, yeah, exactly. you'll be matchsticks in your eyes. Yeah. yeah. Fundamentally, it is about being on a mission to bring about yes. the cultural change that I absolutely know, believe in my heart, can prove that needs to happen. And mm. it's it's not going to happen overnight, but it's by having those joined up, as you said earlier, those joined up conversations with all of the key people in the industry. You know, working in silos is all well and good. And people have been doing some individually mm. have been doing some really good things. But mm. one good thing is not going to bring around massive change. Lots of little things joined up everyone speaking, everyone recognising that the, the 
solution to the collective problem is a collective one Mm -hmm. and that involves joined up discussions and I'm going Mm to bring and create a forum for that to happen brilliant so and and hopefully communication and intervention with the regulatory body that will be able to absolutely uh, implement this yeah. Um, so yeah, woo. Well, knowing you, Miss Bascom, <laughs> knowing you, this is going to be a, a takeover that will be incredibly successful. I'm thank so you. thank you so much for coming on to speak because it's, been it's great really, talking to you. Oh well, it's always great talking to you. It's wonderful, <laughs> and it, what's really great and what's evident is that when you speak about this, you speak with passion and drive. And that's what makes me feel really confident, as well as obviously knowing you, that you will, that it will succeed. And so I just want to say thank you. If people want to, if there are people who are listening, who are interested in contacting Mm -hmm. you, um, could you please run us through that? Um, Obviously, I'm going to add all the links to all of your um, socials and your contact details in the show notes. But could you just run us through? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, yeah, the first point of call is my website, Second Line of Defence, and that's um, www.second2nd and then lineofdefence.com. You'll find me on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook as Second Line of Defence. Um, and I'm also um, on LinkedIn um, as Second Line of Defence as well. So please reach out. Um, I'm going to be busy this year taking the word out to the industry. Mm-hmm. So you may come across me at speaking events, but um, anyone who's interested in this area, anyone who knows anyone who wants to get involved in the mm-hmm. private security industry or the frontline sector, please reach out to me. Um, any stories that you have mm. that you want to relay about yeah. what's going on in the industry as well, please mm. reach out to me. Um, anyone, yeah, and please, please follow me on this journey. Yeah, anyone who wants to make a difference, I think as absolutely. well. Absolutely, no, absolutely. Um, oh, and you. you are making a difference. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much for coming and sharing you. what you are doing, sharing your passion, sharing your vision. Um, And thank you, everyone, as always, for listening. Um, Please like and follow and share and subscribe and let me know what you think and let me know what has moved you. And I look forward to speaking to you again on another episode of the Perception Podcast.